0: Really excited about this uh, new series we're heading into next week. Uh, We're entitling it, Real. And I want to give you just a little foretaste of one little snippet from the letter to the Galatians, and I think its application to what we're doing here this morning will become clear as the time wears on. Uh, During his third missionary journey, that is his third big trip around the ancient world, planting churches building up local Christian communities, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, began to feel the weight of the world. And uh, we know that because his writing gets a little bit more intense, and and he he is seeing that, that the believers, the followers of Jesus in the ancient world are under a lot of pressure. They're under the pressure that is naturally there for anybody trying to walk the way of God in a world that's not all into God. Uh, they began to feel increasingly persecution as people began to to feel like this Christian movement was a threat to the to the to the way of religion or the spirituality or non spirituality in their parts of the world, and so Paul could see the local church getting tired, and so in his um, letter to the church at Gal- to the church at Galatia, Paul writes these words, and I just want to. Uh, bring them to mind for you. They're in the final chapter of Galatians. We'll we'll come back to that in a few weeks' time uh, because there's something significant here, here. He says, let's not become weary in doing good. Let's not let ourselves get worn out in the process of doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's keep at it, let's keep doing good, because at the proper time, in God's time, we're gonna see a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, he says, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, to everybody, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like a lot of uh, families and parents, this time of year, uh, my wife Amy and I uh, did some traveling recently to go to a, uh, uh, one of those university college graduations. How many of you may have attended a graduation of one kind or another recently? Yeah. We went down to Austin, Texas, and were able to see our uh, middle son, uh, finally, finish a, uh, a a study program, a graduate program they had there, and uh, like at all of these sorts of gatherings, I'm the family photographer, <laughs> the least appreciated person in the family system, <laughs> because I'm always in these moments trying to get everybody to kind of come together and pose, and because I want to capture this moment for posterity. I have this fantasy that someday, long after I'm gone, my kids are going to be sitting around going through the digital photo collection saying, man, I'm so glad dad did that. That is not the response I get when I'm trying to take these pictures. But here I was down at the University of Texas doing that last Saturday, and I managed to catch a photograph that um, was not posed but I just caught it, and it, and it is now going to be, I think, one of my very favorite images in the family photo album. It was this one. And if I could caption it, I would entitle it A Mother's Reward. A Mother's Reward. My wife um, doesn't come up on the platform ever. She is like super expert at flying underneath the radar. She, cha- she changes her hairstyle often enough that she can be incognito wherever she goes. <laughs> this is intentional. But she has been like a, a, the hero of our, of our family's life. I, I like to think that I've played some part in raising our three boys to be the solid citizens that they are today, but, but honestly, Amy has invested in our kids at a different and a deeper kind of level. Uh, she has loved them. She has encouraged them. She has championed them from her breast to her knee. Amy has made a point of establishing predictable Uh, daily rhythms in our life and defending those against assault to try and create the kind of stability that would keep us together and, and make them as emotionally healthy as they possibly could be as people. She has read more books. She has put together more confounded Lego creations. She has sponsored more Nerf and water pistol wars than I could count. As She's raised these three boys and poured into them. I know that when I was so often uh, occupied with trying to put on things for the church family, she was focused on trying to put on things for our family she was the one that prepared the Christmas stockings and moderated the Easter egg hunt when I was over here at the church building. She was the one who was taking the kids to church each week and making sure they got involved in the vacation Bible school and the, and the youth programs of the church. She wore out tires driving them to sporting activities and music lessons and tutoring appointments. To use an agricultural metaphor, if I was the guy who got his name over the the. The Yellowstone Ranch of our family, over the gate of the Meyer family, she was the farmer. She was the lead farmer. She was the one who sowed into our kids and watered our kids and pruned our kids and fertilized our kids in a really, really amazing way. And if I haven't done it recently enough, honey, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I will say... I would say that that was hard work, and it was pretty unpredictable work uh, at many times. In various seasons, um, all three of our kids crashed uh, they crashed academically. They they became angry and sullen. They drifted away from the faith for periods of time. Like their father in his youth, they displayed um, hygiene deficiencies. <laughs> Three boys. They, they they got involved in uh, experimenting with dangerous things. They played very loose with the truth, and every single one of them got into trouble with the law. I hope that doesn't disturb you. You're, this is that I'm the guy guiding this this thing, and wow. Uh. But honestly, uh, there, were, there were plenty of moments along the way um, when Amy wondered, as did I, you know, what's, what's, what's going to be the fruit of all this? I mean, a lot of effort's going in here. Is there going to be a reward? <laughs> Is there going to be any reward from this? Now, th- this may not be your experience of family life at all. Um, I-, I pray that you're in a season where you actually can't even believe how remarkably effective and fruitful your parenting is. I mean, I'm guessing your kids are or grandkids are probably uh, mostly all Eagle Scouts or pageant winners or honor roll enrollees. They're they're accomplished artists and athletes. They're amazing actors and, and, and models. They're people just living beautifully into exactly what you think they're meant to be. Maybe you're just getting tired actually from listening to your friends and their teachers and their coaches and their bosses saying how perfect they are all the time. (laughs) You're just just worn down actually by how they overwhelm you with Mother's Day presents and all of those effusive cards where they say all these amazing things and, and, and you think how many more Bible verses can they memorize? How many more people can they lead to the faith? <laughs> maybe that's you or maybe maybe it's not exactly like that in your family either. Um, it could be that you do have you know plenty of happy memories to draw upon and some very clear wins along the way as a parent. but in like in my family, maybe you have also had these seasons these maybe even long periods in your parenthood where you feel like you're constantly sowing seeds and you're wearing yourself out, planting and pruning and hoeing and fertilizing and watering, and you're not sure still what's coming up from the ground. If what's coming up is good. There are moms I know who work extremely hard at at parenting, but whose kids disappoint them or drift away from them or diss them, like reject them altogether. There are are mothers whose whose kids are challenged by severe health problems, mental or physical, uh, kids who wind up on drugs or in jail or who don't make it through life, actually, all the way to the end as we would have had them make it. I've got a heart for moms whose kids are, are caught up with bad actor friends who's, who were who, who choosing partners that she worries may not be right for them. There are mothers and stepfathers and, and, and stepmothers and wanted-to-be mothers and people with a mother wound for whom this particular day every year is actually a cringe day. It's a hard day. Even as for others of us, it's a joyful day. And it's a good day. I don't know where you find yourself in that particular continuum. But here's the truth for all of us. To love well is to sometimes be discouraged. Uh, Or as Jesus, I think, famously said at one point, um, no matter how hard you try, no matter how careful and conscientious you are, in this world you will have trouble. In this world, you will have suffering, John 16, verse 33. And that's true, as we know, in spheres even beyond parenting. It's it's true of marriage, it's true of friendship, it's co working, of church life. In these places, we will have trouble. To love well, to be all in with your heart, is to sometimes be discouraged and you start questioning where's the reward? Will there be a reward? And it could be you're, you're, you're there right now, or you will be there in time, or you know somebody who is there now. And because of that, I'm hoping that what I'm going to say to you in the rest of our time together is going to be helpful. I'm hoping it's going to be good news. I'm hoping it's going to be something you'll actually pass on to other people so it could be helpful to them. Jesus' prescription for a discouraged, uncertain, or imperfect parent, or for any of us for that matter, is really simple and useful. I believe the first thing that Jesus might say to such a person is keep doing small, creative acts of love. No matter what the swirl is, Keep doing small creative acts of love. Now you might say, wait, (laughs) small isn't going to cut it. What's going on with my kids? The problems that we're dealing with? This stuff is huge. There's so much that needs fixing. And Jesus says, yeah, I get that. I get that. In fact, you can have total confidence Jesus does get that. He sees it all. Whatever you see, he sees a lot more of it. He sees the scale, the complexity, the weight of the problem. (laughs) And of all of the problems of the world, and yet still his prescription in the face of all of that is, keep doing small creative acts of love. Keep doing those things. Now, I say that because this seems to be a huge theme in the Bible, in these teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels. Um, Jesus keeps emphasizing the significance of this kind of very focused action and the reward that is attached to it. In Matthew chapter 10, for example, Jesus says this. If anyone gives... Even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Moms, grandmothers, teachers, and mentors, how many of you have ever given a cup of cold water to a child? Just give us a little raise of the hand if you've ever done that. You will certainly not lose your reward, says Jesus. And later on in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus lists five additional creative acts to which he also promises a reward to the doer. And if you read the the parable there, Matthew chapter 25, you'll discover that the people who hear this, him saying this, are shocked because they didn't attach much significance to these particular actions. And the, and the five uh, simple acts are feeding someone, clothing someone, welcoming somebody to come in from the outside, nursing someone that when they're sick, and visiting someone when they're in some form of timeout. Prison of some kind. So think about that list too. How many of you mothers, grandmothers, other mentors, how many of you have ever done any one of those things? Now, whether or not you got thanked for doing those things, whether or not um, you got a Mother's Day card that mentioned those specific things, God saw every one of those acts. Every single time you did them, he saw it. In fact, Jesus specifically says, later on in Matthew 25, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. It's not like I saw you doing that and I thought, oh, that's really nice that you did that. No, it's like when you did that, it completely touched my heart, Jesus says. I, I, was, I felt like you were ministering to me. And, and, and Jesus goes on to say, there is a, there's a reward for this. There's an actual reward for this. He makes this clear at the end of this teaching in Matthew 25. And, and he basically says, when you do these small creative acts of love, for the little ones or for the least, you enter into eternal life. Matthew 25, verse 40. You enter into eternal life. Now, I need to press pause there and clarify something because there's a lot of confusion about this concept of eternal life in the church today or in the world today. Um, A lot of us have been taught to think of eternal life as a superabundance of time. Uh, as, as time that goes on and on and on and on and on, that's eternal life. The thought is that, that, that if we do enough good deeds, if we do enough acts of love or virtue, then the reward is we get to live forever. We get to live forever. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand to ask how many of you have bought that idea, but I, I, I know there would be a lot of hands up if we were honest. My study of the New Testament, however, convinces me, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that everlasting life is not the ultimate reward for our good deeds. That isn't the deal. We can receive everlasting life by putting our trust and faith not in our good deeds, but in the great deed that Christ did for us upon the cross. And if we put our hope for our salvation in, in his moral goodness and not ours, that is that is the way to eternal life in the everlasting life sense of, of the term. But when Jesus spoke of eternal life for us, that the kind that we enter into when we do good deeds... And he does talk about that. He's not talking about uh, the reward of a quantity of time. He's talking about the reward of a quality of being. A quality of being. In other words, the greatest reward that a mother gets, or any of us for that matter, from doing small acts of creative love is that our being is changed by them. It becomes better through them it becomes more like his being his character and as we do these small acts of creative love we in a sense become more like God himself we align ourselves more with his character and with the character of his coming kingdom. And and when she waters and feeds and clothes and nurses and welcomes and visits the least or the little ones around her, a mother's reward, which is so much greater than any Mother's Day card or any spa certificate, those are good too, but not as big, is that she's serving Jesus when she does these things. She's becoming more like God and she is living more in concert with his kingdom. And that is the reward, the first and, and big reward in itself. So moms or grandmothers, uh, whether or not any human being stops to celebrate it, when you stop and kneel down to attend to a little one, when you stop to pray For a child or somebody, maybe even a grown-up child, when you write them a note of encouragement, when you speak the word of truth that helps your child or somebody you're caring for face something about themselves they don't want to face but they need to face in order to become all that they could be, when you do these kinds of things, you're entering into and you're expressing more of that quality of love that eternity is all about. Because if we had infinite time, wouldn't we want to spend it in a place where there was a quality of love that would make us happy to live forever? So no reward is more valuable than this. Nothing in this life is more valuable than this. To have Jesus smiling at you and saying yes, You are indeed my daughter. You are indeed my sister. You have a heart after my heart. You are bringing, ushering in, bringing forth my kingdom. When I think back on my growing up years, I realized that my own mom was often eclipsed by my dad. And I'm not not, uh, critiquing my dad when I say that. Um, My father was a charismatic public figure. And, and, and my mom was a quieter, lower wattage kind of light. But she was equally illuminating. My mother's light lay not in the immensity of the space she filled. My dad could fill a whole room. It wasn't the immensity of space that my mom's light was shown in. My mom's light was shown in the intensity of space she could focus on. And when she focused on you, the world faded out around you. It's still that way. She was totally there for you. I'm going to be forever grateful that my dad taught me how to honor and to help public institutions like a big church. But, but I will always be especially grateful for how my mom taught me to honor and help particular individuals. And every time I get to pray with somebody or I stand by the graveside with some family in a time of loss or have a chance to talk with a skeptic about the mystery of God, I think it's my mom's gifts I get to channel. I am channeling. She was and still is, by God's grace, somebody who showed me what it means to do small, creative acts of love that mediate the reality and the quality of the kingdom of God to individuals. And I want to ask you, what have you learned from your mom? What of have, what have God's character and of the kingdom have you learned from her? And hopefully from your dad too. Do you ever wish you could script the future of your family? Do you ever wish you could sort of plot for your kids or your grandkids? Exactly. Exactly what they should do with their lives. Being as bright as we are, we naturally can see what they should be doing, right? We understandably have certain uh, kinds of things we want to happen in their future. We know what they should do with their life, we know what partners they should choose, we know what path we think they should pursue. I want my child, I want my community, I want my church, I want my country to be like this. We're always supplying those pictures. But here is a brutal fact that the Bible underlines. Only God knows what will be. In fact, Jesus once really upset some people because they were describing, you know, their plans. And Jesus Jesus basically said, "Um, don't say that. Don't say, I will go do this. I will make that happen. I will, Jesus says, only if God is willing. In fact, you should say, when you talk about the future, always add afterwards, and some people do this in Latin, Deo valente, if God, if, if God wills. Um, think how many times in the Bible we're, we're, being, we're being slapped upside the head and told, you don't know. You don't know. Abraham did not anticipate that he would wait all these years To have this child and then God would say sacrifice him or at least be willing to the prophet Samuel when he was looking for a king over Israel had no idea that the one he was ultimately going to be told to anoint was the runt in the family the seventh kid the scrawny little one out doing the sheep tending job that David would be king of Israel he never saw that coming Israelites could not understand that they they needed to be exiled. They needed to go through a great period of national struggle and, and purging and testing for their own spiritual formation. The religious people in the first century, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, never saw Jesus coming. Could not believe that this could possibly be the Messiah. Mary and the disciples did not foresee Easter. The first disciples had no idea that Jesus' earthly departure was a good thing. (laughs) They thought it was a terrible thing. They could not understand that it would make way for the era of the Holy Spirit and the changing of human history as God's power moved now through ordinary people out into the world And the bottom line is that you and I do not understand all that God is doing through the crazy circumstances of our family's life and of the world's life. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 reads, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. So God's purposes are going to be to us always somewhat inscrutable, hard to figure out. But they're also unstoppable. And he is God, and he is a good God, and he will get his plan done. He will get it done. And so along the way, our job is to focus... On the inputs, not the outcomes. Focus on the inputs, not the outcomes. The commendation that we're going to hear one day, I pray, from Jesus is Well done, good and faithful servant. That's from one of the parables. Well done, good and faithful servant. Note that Jesus doesn't say, Well done, good and fruitful servant. Fruit is an outcome, faithfulness is an input. It's what we keep doing, those small acts, again and again. I love how the Apostle Paul puts this. He gets really bold about it in his letter to the church at Corinth. I planted the seed. I planted the seed. Apollos watered the seed, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is really anything in the most important frame, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. What's the one purpose? Faithfulness. In the little things. And each will be rewarded, says Paul according to their labor. In every age, it's just a natural thing for us as human beings to want to control the future. It's not all bad. I'm very confident the Lord values our labor as we try to do our best to honor his purposes and create the kind of world we think he would want to see. But as Paul says at the end of the day, it's only God who makes things grow he has a way of using small things, small acts of love, mustard seeds, tiny grains of yeast. The parables of Jesus are full of this idea He has ways of of using those little inputs and then adding his power to them and giving them an influence that we can't possibly imagine in the particular moment. God is always at work beyond our doing. God God cares for your kids. He cares for your family. He's concerned about the world. He is always at work beyond our doing. But we will be tempted sometimes to lose hope in this. When Amy was faithfully investing in our so struggling ninth grader, she couldn't foresee this. (laughs) That kid was flunking out of school. He was gonna be a PhD in organic chemistry? No way. He couldn't remember to brush his teeth. He was going to marry some fabulous girl. No way. When some of you invested so much of your heart in one of your kids and it didn't turn out at all like you had planned, Or, or maybe when you lost one of them from this earth altogether, it had to be almost impossible for you then, and maybe even now, to imagine that the arms of Jesus would be embracing them. And that even beyond the pale of this life, he was not done with them for good. But this is God's character. He's the good shepherd who goes in search of the lost sheep. He is the glorious redeemer who will one day make everything new. He is the great gardener. He is the Lord of the harvest. And so in the meantime, until all of his purposes become clear to us, Our job as parents, our job as grandparents and disciples of Jesus in many places is to be faithful in the sowing, watering, tending of that particular part of his kingdom you can touch. Maybe by loving a person in front of you today. And if you continue to do these small acts of creative love, Jesus says you can be totally confident of the reward. Would you pray with me? Great God of love, your scriptures tell us that as a mother comforts her kids, so you shall come alongside your people with strength. Here, once again, the gratitude we feel for those mothers and mentors who have dared to invest in us, believing in our potential for growth when maybe we didn't even believe in it. As your servant Paul encouraged the church so long ago, Keep us from becoming weary in doing good. Trusting that by your grace at the proper time, we will see a harvest if we don't give up. In the name of Jesus, we live and we pray. And all God's people said, amen.